The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. I just want to thank you guys for for coming. Uh, This is the first time we've ever tried to do anything like this, so I welcome any feedback you guys have after it's done. Let me know what what was helpful, what could be more helpful the next time we do this. Um, Same for you guys, too. Just let me know. Okay? Cool. Uh, Let me pray, and we'll go ahead... We'll go ahead and get started. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, instruction. We thank you for teaching. And I thank you, Lord, that you have laid out uh, scripture for us. Um, And we thank you, Lord, that we have um, people in this church body who have walked before us um, to give us um, their wisdom, their insight, things they've struggled with. Um, I I pray, Lord, that this conversation would be helpful. I pray, Lord, this dialogue would, would be helpful. Um, would you help us um, to remain gracious tonight on, on a subject that for most of us is very passionate? Um, so, Lord, give us grace for one another, um, unbelievable amounts of, of love uh, for you um, and what you would have for our families. That's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, with that, I'll just start with a little disclaimer. I feel like I am on thin ice up here. Uh, I, I get in front of the church, I talk about discipline, I've been in front of the church to talk about marriage, I've sat in front of married couples who are, sorry, engaged couples who are living together and told them you need to stop living together, and I never felt like I was on thin ice, and I feel like I'm on thin ice up, up here, so um, education in our culture is a controversial topic. Um, because most people are really passionate about it, and it tends to be even more controversial within the church. Uh, there's uh, a, a number of different ways to train your children, to educate your children. One of the things that we see in the church is the tendency to bash other education models. I do not want tonight to be about that. Uh, I don't want to be bashing other education models up here. These guys, we kind of have talked. I don't that's not what, what we want from them. What, what I want, and I think what we want, is to open a gracious dialogue over education. Um, to, to open that dialogue and begin that dialogue, to, to do it graciously. Hey, guys. To do that graciously um, and, and to impart some wisdom um, from some families who have wrestled through some of these decisions. Um, so that's my, that's my hope tonight. Again, it, it isn't about bashing other models. I don't want that to be the dialogue of this church over education. I want us to be gracious toward one another and gracious towards, towards other models. That said, um, I'm going to talk for just a few minutes, and then I'm going to turn it over to these guys, and I'll tell you what they're going to do in just a second. I want to talk really quick, though, before I turn it over to them, what is education, and what is our role as parents? regardless of what education model you choose. What is education? What's our role as parents? So we look at Proverbs 22.6. There's a number of verses in Proverbs you can look at with regards to education. But we'll go with Proverbs 22.6. It's to train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I think we can say that education is the training up of a child. It's the training up in how they should go, what they should be, It's the training in what they should think and how they should think about it. That said, our responsibility as parents, regardless of what education model we choose, 
is to understand and embrace that we are the primary givers of instruction and teaching within our home. Um, and within, throughout their education, we are the primary givers of that. I want to read a, a Jen Wilkin quote. Uh, she's got, and I would highly recommend this, she has um, an article with, three, with two other ladies on the Gospel Coalition. Uh, one of them is called uh, Perspectives on Our Children's Education Going Public. That's Jen's article. There are two other articles. One of them is uh, Homeward Bound, which is on homeschooling. And the other one is Private Enterprise. So it's Perspectives on Our Children's Education and Private Enterprise. I would highly recommend you guys check out those articles. It's by three ladies. Yeah, all of them go to the Village Church in Dallas, and each of them, each of their families has chosen different education models. But I want to read this quote from Jen. It's, it's from, her, from her article. She says, contrary to rumor, the Bible does not endorse one of these choices above another. So we're going to be talking about public school, we're going to be talking about private school, and we're going to be talking about homeschooling tonight. Um, I'm open to talking about some other education possibilities in the future, but for our first one tonight, that's kind of what we're, that's kind of what we're going towards. Um, so, contrary to rumor, the Bible does not endorse one of these choices above another. The Bible does, however, admonish parents to take seriously and personally the instruction and training of their children. How this works out in practice is a matter of careful consideration. I believe this biblical mandate can be fulfilled through any of the three options I've noted. So she's talking again, public school, private school, homeschool. I also believe it can be completely undermined by any of the three. Each option has its strengths and weaknesses. In fact, it might be more accurate to say that the education option you choose is of secondary importance to the role you as a parent play in your child's educational environment. To back this up, I want to read just a I have a smattering of quotes here from Proverbs. You guys will probably get tired of Proverbs by the end of my talk, and you'll be ready for, the, for these guys. But I want to read, uh, just to bring that point home, is Proverbs is chock full of references to parents giving instruction and teaching to their children. So Proverbs 1.8, Hear my son your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 2.1-6, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 3.1, my son, do not forget my teaching. Proverbs 4.1, hear, O son, a father's instructions. Proverbs 4.10, hear, my son, and accept my words. 4.20, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. 5.1, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teachings. I think if you walk away from tonight with nothing else, as a parent, I want you to know that you have to take seriously the responsibility for the instructions and teaching of your children, the, the training up of your, of your children. As Jen Wilkins so aptly put it, it's a matter for careful consideration. And we must, as parents, wrestle with these responsibilities and wrestle with the models of education and prayerfully consider what's the best thing for our family. Um, so again, if you walk away with nothing else tonight, my hope is that through my talk and these guys talking, you understand as a parent, it's not an easy decision. It's not something you should take lightly. You should pray about it. You should wrestle with the different education models that are available. Have lots of dialogue between you and your spouse 
Elizabeth and I fought a lot over public education versus private education. It was not just a simple choice in our, in our house. And so um, know as a parent there's a responsibility that has great weight there. So again, if you walk away from nothing else, I hope you walk away with that tonight. And then hopefully in, some, in addition to that, some of the stuff that these guys say. So uh, I invited these guys here tonight. Uh, this is Tony and Sarah Julianelle. Uh, I'm going to let you guys say what your education model is, okay? Great. This is Hillary Oswald. Uh, her husband is Jason. He couldn't be here tonight. This is Jeff. Um, I'm going to go ahead and actually say what you're here to talk about, though. Jeff is going to talk about homeschooling. Um, in all honesty, I couldn't find, I couldn't think of, and I kind of pulled some different people. I couldn't think of a person who's actually doing homeschooling in park. So if you know of someone, if you do that, or if you know of someone who is doing that, let me know, because I'm totally for having somebody like this up when we do something like this again. I just couldn't find anybody. So let me know. Jeff was homeschooled through eighth grade? Ninth grade. Ninth grade. So he's kind of going to be talking about it from that perspective. Um, and then Justin and Sarah Anderson are here tonight as well. I asked these guys to come and talk about the, the education model that they chose, why they chose it, how they wrestled through it as a family, um, and then the strengths and weaknesses of that education model. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to them. They're each going to get about five to ten minutes to talk and kind of tell you about that. When they're done, my hope is that we have some time to do some Q&A if you guys are up for that or if you guys would like to do that. So with that, I didn't tell you any sort of order, so we'll just go down like this. Sound good? Good. So at the end of the night, we'll do a show of hands for who won. Thank you. That was supposed to be funny. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so our oldest two children go to Escuela de Guadalupe, and it is a bilingual Catholic school. Um, and so part of the reason that we chose Escuela is, well, the main reason we chose it was for language, um, and Tony's going to talk more about that in a minute, but our oldest son is adopted from Guatemala, and so that was a huge factor for us as we really wanted him to be bilingual and our whole family to be bilingual, and we realized um, that that wasn't going to happen unless we found um, bilingual education. Um, but the reason we chose Escuela specifically is they were started here in the Highlands in uh, 99, by a priest and a nun who had a heart for, can you guys hear me okay? <laughs> um, who had a heart for educating kids who weren't otherwise getting a good education. And so um, half the kids in their school are Spanish speakers at home and half of them are English speakers at home. And 90% um, of the kids get tuition assistance. And we, um, before, if we back up like 10 years almost now, some dear friends of ours started a school in Guatemala with almost the exact same um, mission. And so when we found Escuela, that really resonated with us. We'd, that had been a huge part of our lives. And we're, we feel really privileged to be a part of the community here in the States and for our kids to be a part of that mission. Um, as Caring for the underserved is a really important part of our family culture. Um, so I'll let Tony share a little bit more. Um, Sarah mentioned uh, we wanted our kids to be bilingual, and I'll just touch on um, just the idea of adoption. So if anyone has adopted or is thinking about adopting, um, one of the things that we uh, were convinced of through through that process was that it isn't it isn't so much uh, having a uh, 
cross-culturally adopted child assimilate into our world, but what are the ways that we can make part of that, part, that culture part of our reality? And uh, it's actually a large reason that we moved to Denver originally was to uh, get out of a very homogenous environment and try to be in a more diverse setting. So um, the, the language piece is driven by a desire for um, our son to uh, feel very connected to uh, where he came from and, uh, and comfortable in that. So, and it's not just language. What you find at a school like Escuela is uh, really a, an overarching culture. So the, the Latino culture is just part of our lives, in, whether it's in events that they do or um, uh, how, they, uh, how they run the school, frankly. Um, uh, that culture just kind of comes through. Um, so that was really important to us and a, a big part of why we chose Escuela. So some of the pros, more pros about Escuela that we like are that it has a really strong education. Um, the, we love the faculty there. It's a really small a class size, so the ratio is like 12 to 1 all the way through, and we've really loved that. Um, it's also really service-oriented, so from a very young age, they, are, they do service projects as a classroom, and then we have a serve day every year. And then in third grade, um, Jacob is going on like 17 field trips, and half of those are serve are for service. So um, we love that about it. And probably the two biggest cons, one, the first one was mostly for me because I had in my head that Jacob was going to do half-day kindergarten because we moved here from Kansas City. So I thought I had another year with him at home more. And that it really took me a long time to change that mindset and be open to a full-day kindergarten. And really, you can't do bilingual education in, in half-day. And there, it just doesn't exist. And so that was a downside to me. Didn't really, Tony didn't, at one point I was like wrestling with it so much. And he's like, so when he turns 20, are we going to look back and be like, oh, I really wish Jacob would have done full day kindergarten. Or we look back and be like, oh, I really wish he was bilingual. So, and, and in bilingual schools, you have to start in kindergarten. So there's not a lot of turning back um, in the decision. So, and then the other thing for us is Escuela proudly has a long day because of the kids that they serve. And to me, that's probably the biggest downside is because I'm home the majority of the time, I would much rather have my kids for those extra 40 minutes that I lament over. <laughs> but in reality, that's probably the biggest downside um, for our family has been the long day. Um, but we're definitely a part of a culture that that is not a downside for, as most of the families, both parents are working full-time, and they, that's the reason they chose to do the extended day. So, yeah. Can I Sorry. It's also just challenging at times because a lot of the staff don't speak great English. So even our, our first grader right now feels, you know, her Spanish isn't great. And um, uh, it's better than mine, but it's not great. And uh, it's just, it can be uncomfortable to not know what's going on in the classroom, right? So you have to kind of be able to stomach some of that. And uh, they send home a ton of homework. So, like, I despise homework time. I don't remember homework in grade school as an actual thing. So you all can talk about that if that's a thing elsewhere. But um, it's like a really big thing at Escuela. So there, there are definite challenges. The, the other piece I'd say is it's not a diverse school. Um, it's, a, it's a Latino school. 
So uh, it was funny, tonight at dinner we were talking to the kids about what do you like about Escuela, what don't you like about Escuela. And we were talking about it's a Latino culture, and our, our daughter Grace says, uh, what's Latino? And I pointed at myself, and Jake said no, and pointed at himself. And, and she goes, wait a minute, there's, there's Latinos in my class? <laughs> and we said, honey, it's you and two other kids that aren't Latino. <laughs> She's like, really? So... Um, it isn't, we, we, I think at times we go, we love the diversity of it, but it's actually not a diverse setting at all. We're the diversity, which is very disappointing for people. One of my friends, I've been on the parent committee for a few years, and one of my friends who's English speaking, doesn't speak any Spanish. She was like, I, they do not cater to English speakers here. And I was like, oh, were you expecting them to? Because <laughs> we weren't really expecting that. But it definitely is a cultural experience as well as just the language. Yeah. Um, and another thing I wanted to say is we were one of the first families, because Jacob is one of the older kids here at Park, and we had already made the decision um, to go to Escuela, he was starting kindergarten right when we started coming to park. And I started to realize that everybody went to HCA. And our kids were one of the first older kids that didn't. And I kind of thought, oh, I wonder what this is going to be like. And most, and I have a ton of friends at ACA now. And um, everyone has been incredibly gracious and supportive of our decision. And I'm really grateful to be in a place where there's not like an expectation to be like, you go to this school or that school. But ha- we've had a ton of support. Like a lot of people have come to events at our school. And um, so, yeah, we've really yeah. appreciated that. And now a couple other families come too. So, yeah. Let me add one more thing. Uh, let, let me just add there's no formula. There's no right or wrong decision. Like, I mean, as you wrestle through this, we wrestled hard about long day and half-day kindergarten and um, just the challenges and whether you pay tuition or don't pay tuition. And uh, it's funny how Jason started and I, like, I'm on thin ice. And and, and um, this is one of the topics where our church has an opportunity um, to be um, gracious to one another and kind to one another and encouraging to one another um, and just not to draw lines uh, around what's good or what's right. And this is a, this is an area in scripture that's open-handed. What Jason talked about tonight is not open-handed. Um, you are responsible for the education of your children and you're responsible to lead them well in that. Whether you do that at a public school or at a private school, how you do that, that that's an open-handed topic. And uh, so I just want to encourage you uh, as you think through that, that don't put so much pressure on yourself to find the, the right and the perfect thing. We we even still assess, you know, okay, is this now knowing what we know now about our children and about the school and about our lives, is this the right fit for us today? Uh, so just know that um, you don't have to land on the exact right thing forever, right? Jake's nine, he's in third grade. Grace is seven, just turned seven. She's in first grade. And uh, we have a two-year-old. Who thinks she owns the school? (laughs) Third child. I'm Hillary Oswald. Is that loud? I'm Hillary Oswald, and I am the mother of a six-year-old first grader and a three-year-old preschooler. And... They both go to a classical Christian school called Augustine Classical Academy. 
Um, when we became parents, um, if you had asked us how we would educate our kids, we would have told you, and we did say this, um, we went to public school. It was fine. And so we'll do that for our kids. And this, the problem with that is not the public school piece. The problem with that was that we were viewing our daughter, who's our oldest, um, as if she were made in our image and not in the image of God. Um, and I think when I talk, I talk a lot about education, and I'll tell you why in a minute, um, I hear that a lot. And so in addition to Jason's piece about how clear scripture is that you are responsible as parents for your children's education, that you are their primary teacher and you are accountable to God for that. Um, I would also say, I would also really encourage you to see your children as um, people who are uh, image bearers of the Lord and who have stories that he is writing that are separate from yours, that are different from yours. They're connected to yours, obviously. So this feels really loud. Um, so a couple years into being parents, um, I'm, a, I'm a journalist, and uh, I did a project with Penguin Publishing. They have a very popular college guide. And so they asked, and I'd done a lot of writing about education, particularly high school and college, and they asked if I would um, revise this college guide, re-research it, rewrite it, and I said yes. And so I spent a year traveling to colleges, which was great fun and really eye-opening. And our daughter was about two when I started. And the thing that was most eye-opening about it was how powerful education is. Um, every classroom I sat in, I, I visited 40 schools. I did about 4,200 interviews. I sat in classrooms, probably 85 classes. Um, and the thing that was so surprising to me was how powerful that experience was, that intimacy of teacher to student. Um, the education is a culture maker. It is a culture transmitter. And it's a visceral thing. We think of education as intellectual solely, um, but it also aims at the heart. And so I think that God was really good to us in that we had given education this much thought until I took on this project and he, he began to work in us and to ask what is, what is an education? What does it do? Um, what does scripture have to say about it? Um, and what are you aiming at, um, as parents? And so for us, um, we spent a lot of time talking to other parents. We spent a lot of time in scripture, um, and we found um, a call to, first of all, that you are your parents, you are your children's instructor, uh, teacher. Second, that um, there is a kind of pervasiveness to the discipleship that God describes in teaching and learning. I think um, I have some scripture that, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, when God says, in these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This kind of call to pervasive instruction that it's not, um, 
a thing you do every once in a while that that God wants our hearts and our minds to be focused on him um, all the time. And that's a really countercultural view of education. So we, and we also begin to think about um, when God says, when God calls us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, that there is a connection that God does not, we are not fractional people. We're not, um, our minds separated from our hearts, separated from our bodies, separated from our souls, that we begin to think about education as a way to um, help, our, help our children know who God is um, and, and worship him. And so, um, so we came to the conclusion that education is a call, first and foremost, to know who God is and to equip our children to know and love and practice um, the virtues from Philippians 4, um, when Paul says, um, think about what is true and good and noble and just and beautiful and lovely, um, and then practice those things. So there's, there's a call to ponder them and then to act on them. And so we, at, at the same time, as we were sort of wrestling with these things, um, some friends of ours um, introduced us to a class, a, their classical Christian school where they sent their children. Um, and I can talk about the classical model later, maybe if we have time. This feels really hard to do because this was a long process and Jason gave us five or 10 minutes to talk about it. Um, and, and so we began to think about um, what, what could an education look like um, that was not academics with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top? What would an education look like um, that um, infused who God is as the author of all knowledge, that we cannot know anything in the world um, if God did not create it to be known? Um, and so, and so we Thought, so we anyway. So this classical Christian model um, embraces God as the author of all knowledge. It um, it teaches students in a way that is, that they are designed to learn. And so in the early years, there's a lot of memorization and and gathering of knowledge um, because kids, as you know, many of you are parents of young kids. They love to repeat things, right? And they're really good at memorizing. When they move into the middle school years, we call that the logic phase. Um, students begin to um, analyze and just determine what is truth and what is fallacy. Um, and, and those of you who know tweens know that they're um, more geared toward um, maybe a little bit of conflict, maybe a little bit of argument. Um, and then when students move to high school, we call that the rhetoric phase, and they begin to cultivate skills of communication and persuasion and argument um, based on this knowledge that they have gathered and this ability to reason that they have honed. Um, and so, so this is sort of, this sounds like a linear progression, but it's not. It was a lot of wrestling and finding out and wrestling and, and learning more. Um, and finally, we considered um, who our daughter is. And she, I talk about our daughter because she's our first. Um, she's the firstborn child of two firstborn children, so you can start praying for her right now. Um, and, and for the sake of illustration, 
I would say that she is um, a joyful, sensitive observer. And so I thought, gosh, if I could find a place where the posture, the ethos of the school was one of rejoicing and not rejoicing over the student, like, oh, you did your math test perfectly, yay, but rejoicing over the fact that we have a God who in his goodness has made a world for us to know and has given us the means to know it, um, that would be really great. That would, that would be like an ideal type of place for her. And rejoicing is a gift. And I, and so I would encourage you to think about like what ways God has gifted your children. Like what are their natural proclivities and, and find a place that, um, that serves those well in the context of scripture. I, th- I think there's a lot of parents who make decisions about education just based on who their child is like, Oh, he's a genius. Clearly he needs to go to the yada yada school, but really take a look at who your child is in light of what God says about teaching and learning, um, education as an act of discipleship. And then your child as an image bearer of God. Um, and then the, her sensitive observer piece, um, we felt like for her, um, it would be really hard for her to thrive in a place where the things that we say are most important in this world um, are not mentioned at all. That is, that does not, please don't read that as a dig in any context against any school. For her, for our family, we felt she is um, eager for reconciliation, not just among people, but also of ideas. And we felt like it would be really tough for her to learn in an environment where she was constantly having to reconcile um, what we said at home and what happened at school if those things didn't align. So, um, oh, and one other thing. It was really, we are really glad that we have a school. There are a couple of different models of Christian education um, when it comes to admitting fam- admitting students admitting students from families who are not believers, um, and I didn't realize when we enrolled at Augustine Classical Academy that this would be so important to us. But um, at our school, um, we say, "Here's what we believe. You do not have to believe these things too if you want your child to enroll here." but you agree as part of the parent contract not to undermine the teaching of the school. What that has done for our kids, I, mean, I think that sometimes we can think of Christian education as um, what I call the virtuous island model. Like, well, we're not going to let any sin in here, so we're going to send our kids to this Christian school, which all of you know is laughable because you all have adorable little sinners in your house. But... Um, at our school, we admit students who come from families who are not professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I really love that my kids have to practice loving their neighbor um, in an environment that affirms their faith, but um, doesn't mean that everybody in their class uh, comes from a Bible-believing family. And so... Um, because I feel like by the, after, by the time they're 18, they're going to go out into the world and they're going to have to learn to love their neighbor and preach the gospel um, in an environment that very often will not affirm their faith.
Um, so the cons, the, the downsides are we pay tuition. Um, and our family thinks of that as part of what God's called us to do. Um, God tells us that our resources are his, that they're gifts from him. And so if he gives us resources and he asks us to send our children to a private school, that's what he wants us to do with our resources. Um, and it's not terribly convenient, conveniently located. We live by DU. The school is in Lakewood. It takes us about 20 minutes to get there in the morning and about 35 minutes to get home in the afternoon because everybody gets off work at 3.30 apparently in Denver. Um, but again, I don't, I don't see a lot of evidence in scripture that says we should um, pursue convenience. Um, we don't serve a God of convenience. It's terribly inconvenient um, to be a Christian sometimes. And um, so, so we spend extra time in the car. And to be very honest, I think some of our best conversations with our kids happen in the car. They're not, there aren't other things to do. Um, and so we get good download time, good debriefing, funny stories. We get to process with them things they've learned. Um, and so, you know, would I rather be doing something else probably than driving around? Um, but um, we feel like it's worth it for our family. Cool. Was that long? No, it was seven minutes. <laughs> Times three and a half. I know. Okay. I'll go quick then. Probably not. Um, probably not. Uh, so, yeah, Jason asked me or found out. He asked me if I knew any of homeschooled parents. And I was like, I don't except for mine. It's like I've got great, a great evidence, and it's really unfortunate because they're flying in tomorrow afternoon, and they would they would have been wonderful to sit up here. Um, but I spent a lot of time on the phone with both of them the last forty eight hours. Um, but yeah, I I kind of have a a smattering of education experience myself, and then I I'm kind of surrounded by a lot of education. Um, so I was homeschooled from kindergarten through ninth grade, then I went to a public high school, then I went to a private undergrad, a private grad school. Um, both of my parents are educators. Um, my mom was an elementary K through eight teacher um, before she started homeschooling. Me and my three brothers. Uh, my dad has a master's in education. Has been in the public education um, arena for 43 years. He retired this last year. Um, and then my wife's a teacher. My wife's mom's a teacher and educational therapist. So I, I like this. This is fun. Um, uh, so yeah, real briefly, I I'll, I'll give you. Some of what my parents have told me is the reasons that they homeschooled um, four boys, uh, and then my experience. And um, to be honest, Lindsay and I, my wife and I, we have a 22-month-old who's in third grade, and a, um, <laughs> an 18-day-old who's amazing. Um, kindergarten, preschool, right? It's a preschooler. Um, yeah, we're we're starting to talk about this conversation. Like, what what are we going to do? Um, and so I'll get to that toward the end, but. Um, yeah, my parents, like I said, both were educators. My, my dad um, was, was kind of a uh, secondary education. He taught element, or a middle school language arts and history, um, taught in high school, and then ended his career um, uh, 37 years as a high school counselor. And so um, he, he got a master's in education and educational um, design, basically. So he um, had a lot of research background in education and um, brain development and educational development. Um, and so, 
some of the, the main reasons that they chose um, to, to homeschool, and he told me I must say this, so it's in all caps, big letters, is that homeschooling is not for everyone. Um, and that's not like a, it was for us and we're the elite. Obviously, you probably know that. Um, homeschooling is not for everyone. Um, but they, they, they chose to do it after, like a lot of you guys have talked about already, like wrestling through homeschool, private school, public school. Um, you know, my dad had an advantage because he was in the public school system and he knew the schools and the teachers and the administrators and um, kind of had access to um, check it out before he sent kids there. Um, and so he told me a, a story today. Actually, I was talking to him. It's his birthday today. Um, and he was telling me that when they were trying to decide, when my oldest brother, Eric, was in um, going into kindergarten, um, my mom took him to this kindergarten teacher who is a godly Christian woman, um, taught in a public kindergarten in, in Snohomish where I grew up. And um, she, she thought the teacher was amazing, amazing godly woman. Um, but what she observed was, you know, 25, 30 students, um, the classroom kind of ruled by these four boys who had kind of attitude problems, and the teacher had to spend most of her time disciplining them. And um, my mom, like, walked away going, what an amazing woman, and yet I, I think I want something different for my son um, as far as a classroom experience. Um, and so one of the main values for them, and it's been talked about through the two public or private school um, voices, has been um, a more unique design toward education. Um, so um, my, my parents valued um, the ability to have a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-four experience, um, talk about classroom size, um, with the, the students in their class, in their school. Um, and so that allowed for a lot of benefits for myself, my three brothers, um, one of which is, you know, none of the four of us had the same learning style. Um, I, I, learned, I learned math and and. I learned, um, like, letters and sounds by jumping on a trampoline, um, and, I, and I learned, I was a kinesthetic learner, like, I was just hyperactive and all over the place, um, and if I would have to sit in a classroom for hours on end and have someone auditorily speak to me for an hour straight, I think I would have probably lost my mind. Um, I also had dyslexia, have dyslexia, and so um, I, I think the way my dad describes it is I probably would have gotten, you know, kind of pushed down, pushed down, and probably ended up in, in a, in actually a, probably a special ed context. Um, and that would have been really tough, I think, for me, um, just surviving and then succeeding and, and valuing education. And so the, the ability for my mom and my dad to craft curriculum and to craft the, the mode that that curriculum came across to me um, was incredibly beneficial for, for me for the life of our my education. Um, I went to undergrad hoping to get through undergrad. Um, never thought I would do any kind of grad school and then um, yeah, I finished last year with a, with a master's that, you know, primarily and by 120% has to do with my parents and my mom's ability to, to understand that and then craft the education so that I didn't I didn't hate learning or hate reading or hate teachers or hate the education system. Um, and it was different for all my brothers. My oldest brother, I think I've mentioned him in a couple of sermons, he's a total perfectionist, 4.0 valedictorian, full rides everywhere academically, um, but was super hard on himself. And if a teacher would have looked at him the wrong way or given him a bad grade, he probably just would have collapsed, you know. So all that to say, it's not like now we were like, we had to have all these special treatments, but we were allowed to do that. So that was a giant 
pro for us and our family. Um, the, other, the other major aspect that's been touched on um, was the, the ability to kind of to frame the worldview, to, to have that ability to, um, to, to demonstrate what, what Hillary just said, that, that, that there's a God who uh, has chosen to create a world that's, um, that's discoverable, that he is a God who wants to be known and he's revealed himself um, through math and science and literature and history and, um, and the way we interact with one another. Um, and so my mom and dad were able to weave all of that into every aspect of our education, um, which was amazing. I mean, um, yeah, it was a total benefit. Um, another big plus, um, which my wife and I talked about today, was um, just the time spent with my family. Like, I spent so much time with my mom and my dad, um, my three brothers. Um, we have endless, you know, memories growing up in those early years, you know, being in the same house, you know, all doing our different levels of education, but then going out to recess together and, you know, building forts and playing war and doing all the stuff that kids get to do. Um, and to be completely honest, my dad talked about this today too, um, you know, the, the education system, especially the public education system, is kind of set up, um, and a lot of it is set up um, kind of ruled by necessity and um, kind of blanking on the word, but um, it's a seven, seven and a half hour day, um, and a lot of that is there's 30, 25, 20 students in a classroom, and the teacher needs to give some attention to each one of them. Um, and so Dad gave the example of, you know, you give the, the classroom 50, you know, addition problems to work through so that the teacher can get around and, you know, look at Joel th- for, for his one through three and then move over to Rick for his four through five and move around the classroom, and everyone's still doing busy work. Um, my, cl- my school day um, was almost kind of as long or as short as I wanted to make it, um, as in if I would be obedient enough to, to do the work. Um, and sometimes it was two and a half, three hours long. Um, and the rest of that time, we got to experience and do family together and, and go in the backyard and you know work on our football and basketball skills and whatnot. Um, I think that was the real reason, actually. My dad just wanted athletes, pro athletes. He got... He got two of them, so I'm not one of them. Um, so that, I mean, that was, that was really, you know, another huge, huge aspect um, to, to that. And that's something that's really attractive to Lindsay and I as we think about um, educating at least the two boys that God's given us um, is, you know, the ability to spend, especially those primary years, the, the time when real um, patterns and habits and disciplines um, and loves for education and reading and and discovery and investigation um, are really built into someone. Lindsay and I have talked about um, the potential of homeschooling, maybe through like third or fourth grade, where, where you can really establish some of those um, disciplines and rhythms and, and desires. Um, and then from there, maybe private or public or something else. But um, the, the cons, I think, I don't know if you guys are familiar with some of the stereotypes of homeschoolers. I was going to wear a turtleneck t- <laughs> tucked into my sweatpants or my hammer pants. Um, with a good comb over. Uh, that was me, um, unfortunately. Um, no, not at all, not at all. I, hopefully it was, I'm, uh, there's more positives to say. Um, so one of the questions is, is social. I mean, that's a big question with homeschooling families and, and how do you develop social skills? 
um, if you're, especially if you're not a family of four children, you know, where they're interacting with kids all the time. So that was a big question for my parents. Um, and they answered that. They thought through that. Um, we were involved um, in our church youth groups and our Awanas and um, very involved with our church um, growing up. Um, my, my, both my parents are athletes, so we, we were in athletics, you know, from, you know, first and second grade gymnastics until we started baseball and basketball and um, football in middle school. And um, so we, we didn't lack, ex, you know, interactions with other kids our age. Um, my mom actually started, so I'm kind of cheating being a homeschool kid because my mom actually started a private school that she still runs to this day. She started it, and I was probably in second grade. Um, but it's kind of a, a private school, homeschool fusion, a co-op model where she opened her home, created a classroom in her house, and you know, for one day a week, 20 or 30 students would come and go through a normal school day. We'd do um, uh, English science and social studies, you know, go through lessons, take tests, take quizzes, you know, give speeches, give projects, and then go home with a list of, you know, 15 or 16 or so assignments in each um, subject that we'd work through throughout the week. Um, and so I had that interaction as well. So every, every Monday, you know, 22 of my good friends in that kind of homeschool world would show up to my house and we'd do school. Um, and my dad was the principal and I saw him often. Um, I, would, I was sent out of the classroom to sit on the stairs and wait for dad to come home. Um, that, was, that was me. Um, but so the social aspect is a, is a kind of a, a con. I mean, it's, you need to be creative in that, in that avenue. Um, like Hillary said, they're going to be 18, they're going to go off to college, or they're going to go to the house, and they're going to have to interact with the outside world. Um, my parents did not homeschool me to um, shelter me and my brothers from the evils of the world or to keep me from culture or something. Um, that was definitely not the case. My, all of my, most of my, um, my friends from elementary through middle school um, were all public school friends through church or through sports. Um, and so uh, that wasn't the desire for them to, to shelter, shelter me and keep me from, from any of those things. Um, but they had to think creatively about how to get me and my brothers into places where I had to learn how to be patient and generous and love my neighbor and um, play nice with others. Um, the, other, the other two, the last two cons, I would say, um, have to do more with the, the teacher, the parenting side of it. Um, so one, I, I don't know. I think there's enough... Um, resources out there now for for people but I don't know if I would like really suggest um, homeschooling if you don't have a love for education or some sort of education background or a, a means by which to get that um, both my parents are educators my mom wasn't you know waking up each week going I don't know how to teach this you know and, and she was smart enough to stop at the grades that she knew was over her head um, so um, none of us are homeschooled past her education, her background, what she was um, certified in. Um, you know, all, all of us had to go and do standardized testing every year to make sure we were, you know, ahead. And that was the other, like, another side pro. Um, not to, like, be boastful, but we were better students than the other students that are our age. Um, when we did those testing, like, my brothers were always, like, two grades ahead, you know, and that was just the case. The other thing was my parents had the ability to like hold us back and move us upgrades when we could and when we needed to. And so there's a lot more flexibility in that. Um, so 
it's a good education experience too, if, if that is. But if you're not a teacher and you don't know how to do that, um, like, just be honest with yourself, I think, and say, I, I, that, that's not great for my son. As much as I want to spend time with him or her and have him in the home all the time and love on him and care for him, um, you know, if they leave elementary school and they can't do what they need to do in order to succeed in middle school, um, you know, then that's not, that's not good either. And the last piece that my mom would attest to, that the, the biggest struggle that she had to deal with every day um, was she was a mom and my teacher um, during the day. And so she had to, my, my dad told me a story today of her with my oldest brother one night just saying, like, I don't think I can do this again. I think I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I can't do this. It's so frustrating having to be mom and discipline and care and, and raise and do that while you're trying to educate and teach. And, you know, it's, it could be easier in, in, a, in a classroom setting where, like, you're going to act like that. You're going to go down the hall and deal with the principal and come back when you're, when you're better. But you, she couldn't do that. She had to wait till Dad got home, you know, from a full day of work or just had to lock herself in a room and pray and hope that things changed. Um, so that was difficult for her. I think she would probably absolutely say that was the most difficult for her and I. We, we fought a lot. We had a really hard time. A lot of to do with my learning disabilities, and she didn't catch that very early, and my two older brothers were just saints and, you know, the perfect students who just sat there. And, what can I learn today, Mother? And I was like, I'm outside um, jumping off the roof. And uh, so, um, so that was a, that was a strain, but um, I'll end by saying I, all in all, it was, it was an absolutely great experience. Um, I would never like down talk homeschooling. Um, I went to a private, small private Christian school for undergrad and there were a lot of homeschool, um, not a lot, but there's a probably more noticeable amount of homeschoolers that came to that undergrad, um, than maybe a big state institution. Um, and there's definitely like that that stereotypical homeschool student that when they finally got out of the home and they went to college, they either like hunkered down and like hid themselves from anything or they were like, let's go, you know, like drug, sex and rock and roll, this thing. Um, and so th- I, I know that that's a thing. Like I, I knew people, I knew kids that were, that were the homeschool kid. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, the, the structure of that schooling you know, we woke up, we had a time we started, we had a time we stopped, we had structure in that, and that was, you know, to the benefit of my parents having that background in education. Um, but I loved it. I, I, we're seriously considering doing it, at least for the early years. Um, but, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good option. Nice. Seven minutes. Good job. Spot on. All right. Well, um, my name is Sarah Anderson, and this is my husband, Justin Anderson. We have two kids, um, Logan, who is eight, almost nine. He's in third grade. And Stella, who is six, almost seven, and she's in first grade. Um, We're kind of the black sheep here at Park Church because we send our kids to public school. (laughs) Okay, that's not true. I asked Jason, do you have anyone else to fill these chairs if we can't make it back from the mountains in time? He did, maybe. One or two others, right? Um, We're happy to be here. Um, So this is, um, I love how Jason opened. By the way, I want to get a copy of whatever that was um, just 
to reiterate. Yes. I felt like we could have ended there. Like, okay, he said it. That's all. That's it. (laughs) As far as, um, like, this really is, um, it's not all in the school. It's not all in our teachers. It's a, it's, I see it as a partnership. And so, um, anyway, that's really awesome. Thank you, Jason, for that. Um, so just a little bit about us and our background and how we ended up um, with our kids in public school. We have lived in the neighborhood for about 11 years now, and we bought our first little starter home just like 10 blocks that way. Um, young newlyweds had no intention of necessarily staying in the neighborhood um, to raise our children, but here we are still. Um, and so it wasn't really on our radar when we bought the house. However, there was an L- a, an public elementary school across the street from our house. We thought, oh, that's cool, but that won't really apply to us because we won't still be here in seven years. Um, So when it, fast forward a few years, we did decide to stay in the neighborhood. And when we were faced with the decision of, um, okay, our kids are ready to enter school now, um, we were actually attending a church that offered a K through 12 Christian private education um, school. And so that certainly was an option and it's something we considered and looked at. Um, but I really appreciate what everyone has said tonight. Like this is a really great, big, important decision for sure. Um, however, I want to say that while it's something that we took really seriously and we put a lot of thought and prayer into, we actually didn't agonize over this decision. We felt like God made made our decision actually pretty easy and clear. Um, we certainly weighed our options. We prayed a lot about it, but um, we didn't lose sleep over it. And so I, I feel like just in kind of helping to guide and counsel some of my other friends who feel the pressure that if you're not spending hundreds of hours analyzing data and doing 18 school tours and interviewing administration that you're not doing your job as a parent. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Okay. So it certainly is a huge decision. I don't want to detract from that, but I also want to say like, you have to do what's right for you in your peace of mind as a parent. And some people choose that path to analyze everything from every angle. And that's awesome. You just need to have peace about that decision. So for us, it just looked a little bit differently. Um, I also appreciate how Hillary said, well, we both went to public school, so that's just what we'll do um, because that's kind of in our notes here. Um, We both went to public school, and it's an interesting spin, and I don't think that we necessarily look at it that way. Like you said, you know, our children are not, we don't want to bring them up in our image. We want to bring them up in God's image. That's definitely true. It's more of... um, I guess where I'm coming from on that is that I believe that God gives us wisdom through our experiences, and that was our experience was public school. And so it's impossible to not take that into consideration when making that decision for our kids as well. Um, So we had a very positive experience in public education. We felt confident about our outcomes and went on to get, you know, good college degrees and all of that. So, um, a big part of it for us was just community. So I'm a big believer that, um, it's important to support local public schools. 
Um, if you want them to be a viable option, if you want to see them improve, if you want to see change happen, then we're responsible to be part of that change. So I will say that did play into our decision of almost, there was times where we almost felt like a traitor if we didn't support the, the grassroots efforts of our local public schools. And part of that probably did come from, because that's how, that, that was so ingrained in us and in our upbringing. So um, just really feeling like we needed to participate in that, that change and that improvement and so that they, the public schools last and they are good, strong schools. Um, and as well as the desire for our kids to do life with their neighbors, to have friendships with their neighbors, some of my best memories and probably best conversations as a kid was just walking to and from middle school every day with all my neighbor friends. And that's something that we felt like we desired as well. So, um, so as far as our decision, um, part of it was just knowing others and their um, positive experiences at the local schools. We did some, we definitely talked to other families. I would encourage you to do that if that's not obvious of just kind of what we're doing here. Like what are the strengths of the route that you've chosen and what would you say are maybe some weaknesses of the route that you've chosen? Um, just to get different um, different opinions from other families. Um, we did some research on, you know, like school ratings, test scores, that sort of thing, just to make sure that um, that was somewhat in line with what we desired as well. Um, so again, it's, <laughs> Hillary, it's funny that you mentioned the convenience piece because for us, um, even though I know we don't serve a convenient God, um, I so appreciate that you said, like, you weighed that out, and that is probably a sacrifice at times that you spend that much time in the car, and for your family, it was worth it. Um, having an elementary school across the street from us was like, I mean, that, that actually almost made our decision even harder, because it, we didn't want to just settle, and we really had to wrestle through feeling like, okay, if we send our kids there, we're not just settling, because there's a school right out our front window. So, um, but that certainly did come into play just logistically. And I worked, um, part-time a little bit more than part-time. He works full-time. We really didn't have the option to drive clear across town. So just like being, I guess, logistically, logically, it made sense as well, which is something to take into consideration as far as your lifestyle as well and your schedule. So, um, the strengths of the route that we've chosen um, and why we chose it. So we definitely discussed a lot, all of the options and spent a lot of time just really praying about, you know, God has given us, God made me Stella and Logan's mommy. God made Justin Stella and Logan's daddy. And he, like, he knows that we know our kids best and what really, I guess, asking for God's wisdom as far as, what do our kids need? What is it, Lord, that we need to value for our kids? And like actually making that list, because that's going to look really different, as I'm sure you've all realized, for the Julianelles and the Oswalds and your family. Um, it's, it's, we're all going to, that list is going to, is, there'll be some similarities, but really just almost coming up with like your five, your top five or six values that you feel like God is putting on your heart for your children. So that's kind of what we did. And near the top of that list for us was um, diversity. It was really important that we 
um, that our children spent time with other races, with other cultures, with other socioeconomic statuses. That was a really common thing that kept coming up for both of us. That was really important. Um, Well-roundedness and just a really whole child approach, which I actually feel like we do get in public education. Um, and then the fact that it is free was on our list. We felt like it was a financially wise um, it was financially responsible to choose that. Um, and let's see. I think I'll let Justin talk now. So I think it probably has become clear. Sarah did a lot of the, the work up front between us. Um, she had um, more strengths in talking to people and understanding like what our options are and what other neighbors of ours have gone through and what they've done, and, and, and even just finding out specifics about the school that was across the street, um, really getting a more personal um, understanding of that. So I, I relied a lot on, on her work through that. And then I, I kind of took a seat of um, understanding that the decision we make isn't forever. I think that gave me a lot of um, comfort, knowing that... Um, the decision we do make, it's it's going to be something that we can change. And I think getting into a public school was, um, one, it addressed these, these ideas that Sarah brought up and deciding our first and our top choice. And we went that route because, I, in my opinion, nothing made it more clear that we made the right decision until we were a year in. Um, we took our kids to this school and we got a firsthand look at how these teachers love on our kids. And there's nothing like that. Um, that um, sold me, I guess, personally. And feeling confident in continuing this is, um, I, I guess, I know um, some public schools, I'm sure, have, have very hard teachers. They have very strict rules. They have, um, they have their challenges with um, how they, they handle kids. And I think that was a scary part. And until you, I mean, you can do it, as in, again, as much research as you want, but being able to see your kids there and see what they come home with, they're not, um, the, the, the drastic learning curve that they're on is amazing, and, and that love that these teachers have um, really made it much more personal to me because I think public schools a lot of time don't have that personal feel, and, and that drastically changed my, my outlook um, just within the first year. So um, kind of going back to just the idea of, um, it, it's not an absolute, and I think um, kids are resilient. You know, they, they can handle change, and so uh, I think a lot of people go uh, through that fighting that this is going to be the right choice, but being open to um, that, that you might find out through the first year that it wasn't the, good, the best choice, and knowing that there are other opportunities. You've done your research and then looking elsewhere, but, uh, but we were just so thrilled that through that first year um, really made a, a eye-opening, like, very... Um, uh, made us feel confident in continuing through the years ahead and sticking with our, our school. Um, is that, I think that was what I was covering yeah. right now. That's great. So you're not signing like a 12-year contract, Justin said to me earlier today. So if that provides any like relief or like just a reminder, like, okay, we can make a change if we find it's not the best fit. Um, it's really helpful for us as well. Um, so the last thing I want to touch on here is just the um, the fact that having being part of a public school community um, has been an incredible mission field for our family. And I'll admit that wasn't on our list of what we were setting out to do here, but it has been an unbelievable blessing. Um, 
kind of a repercussion of this decision that I feel like is is very unique. I sometimes hear other people say like, oh, we don't really have, we have to be very intentional to have non-Christian friends or to surround ourselves with people who believe differently than, than we do. We have that opportunity every single day. And if we're really invested in our city here and to tell people about God, what a better place to do it. I spend time with other moms on the playground every day and I get to hear their stories. Um, last year there was another mom, her son was diagnosed with a sensory integration, um, problem. And I had a book at my house that was across the street (laughs) and I said, Hey, come over and I'll, I'll give it to you. And she just ended up standing in my living room, just weeping because she was so anxious about her son's diagnosis and what that looked like. And, um, she was not a Christian and I had the opportunity to just pray with her in that moment and share with her um, in that way. And one of my daughter Stella's very first sleepovers with one of her friends from school, um, we were tucking them into bed that night, and um, I had the honor of praying with her for the very first time. She had never prayed before. She didn't know who God was. And so Stella and I together were able to say, well, this is how we pray and this is why we pray. And more than anything, I found myself trying to explain too much of it instead of just doing it. I was like, okay, let's just do it. (laughs) Let me show you. And she was just like, now every time she comes over, Miss Sarah, can we pray? Um, So cool. And it's also opened up a lot of conversations with her her mom as well. Um, Another example is that Um, One of our son's best friends, um, he, him and, him and Logan have a lot of conversations because Logan always says he doesn't believe in God, but I do. And it's really cool to see our eight-year-old who is like incredibly equipped for, for that. um, And just to have that opportunity on a daily basis. He came home a couple months ago and said, yeah, the other day I was praying at lunch and and my friends, my friend Connor said, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm praying. I'm praying to God. And we had no idea that he prayed. And we were like, you were praying at lunch? And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I stop and I pray every day before I eat my ham sandwich. So we were like, wow. <laughs> so, and, I mean, I could probably go on and on with examples, but that's just one thing that's really struck us recently is that opportunity is pretty amazing. Um, we just really feel like that's something that God has called us to do here in this city. So that's, um, a really great platform for that. Um, oh, one other on that topic, I was volunteering in Stella's classroom last year and it was like around Thanksgiving time and a little boy, um, we were talking about, we were all going around talking about what we were thankful for and, you know, writing it on the Turkey and Stella's was like, I'm thankful for God. And, um, I still remember her friend saying, God, who's God? And so, um, I mean, I guess you could look at that as a pro or a con, as a strength or a weakness, really. Um, I think we all have a desire, like really, especially when we have our little precious innocent babies to shelter them. I remember my kid's first realization that not everybody does believe in God. That was really hard for me at first. And so there's that like, oh my gosh, he doesn't know who God is. Like just, we were able to shelter them long enough that they really thought that everybody believed in God. But then the beauty that comes up from that later on. Um, I think that's it. I think I covered everything. Anything I forgot? Oh yes. (laughs) Weaknesses. Um, so I guess I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because there's like 
the blatantly obvious one. It's not a, uh, a Christian education. They're not learning um, about the Bible and God's word directly in the classroom every day. Um, and I feel like as parents, that's obviously we've had to be make sure that we're carving that out in our lives and um, still able to integrate it in their education. But it looks very different when you do it that way. Um, and the ratio, I think maybe you mentioned that someone mentioned the ratio piece. Um, I think some people look at that as a weakness in public education just because of funds and, and other things. I think the ratio is probably like 24, 25, 26 for one or two parent, um, one or two teachers at our kids' school. So, um, I'm sure there's others, but I've been talking a while and those are the first, I guess, really pretty clear cut, um, weaknesses that came to mind. Um, Getting onto the, the non-Christian education, I think also our kids, especially as they get older, I think Logan coming home with challenging things that they're learning about that, that we don't necessarily agree with or that there's, um, there's, there's a different approach to it, right? And so it's, it is more time, um, it can be more time at home, like, like discussing through those ideas. And so that, it, it's, it's additional work at home, I'd say, for us that, that involves, um, talking about you know, what some of the, some of these ideas are. Um, and I think, so it's again, um, part of the, the work at home. And, and I think, um, kind of going off of what I also wanted to mention on Sarah's part of, uh, these great opportunities for our kids to, to speak to non-believers, um, uh, that it also challenges them too, right? I think, um, and that's, that's also can be hard for us because it's, it's a test of, of, um, of really seeing what your kids do in these situations when there's not parents around and, and how they really, what they value and, and how they present it. And, and I think that's all, it's a, it's a good and bad. Like it's, it's great to have those conversations when they come home and tell us about these things and, and we get to, to wrestle through that with them. And it's, it's, it's very real world at a very young age. I feel like, like these are challenges like that we deal with all the time, right? As, as adults in our Christianity and, and discussing, and they're doing this in, at the second grade level is, is phenomenal. Um, so it, it's, it's a beauty and a challenge. Uh, they both come as part of that too. We're good. Um, so we have just, we have a few minutes left. Yeah. Can you give them a hand? Cause it, Um, these guys were all game to come up here and do this, and it takes a certain amount of courage to come up here and do this, so thank you. Uh, we have a few minutes left if we want to do a, a quick Q&A. Um, I think our child care is through, we have about five minutes, so. Um, but go ahead and, what's that? Yeah, it's because Tony went along. Uh, so go ahead and, if you guys have questions, let's go ahead and start throwing them out there. You don't each get another five to ten minutes. Well, one thing, yeah, that's a really broad question, but one thing I'll just throw out there that was in my notes I don't think I mentioned is um, I really make it a priority to partner with my children's teachers. So regardless of which model you choose, 
I feel like, and, and I say that like the first week of school, like I am your, we're in this together. Like you spend a lot of time with my kids. So do I like, let's support each other. Let's communicate. And, um, I really want my kids teachers to know that they can like talk to me about anything. And, um, I think that it can, that some families do put so much responsibility on the teacher. Like this is your job to teach my kid X, Y, and Z. And I would strongly disagree. Like you really just have to, it's a mind shift for some people, but like we're absolutely in this together. So that's just one little tiny example. Um, what do you do as a primary educator? So, um, I would say one thing is our posture toward learning in our home and discovery. Um, I think one thing that our school does well is position learning in the context of what must this God be like who made a poem, who who makes our souls res respond to poetry? What mu must this God be like who makes a geometric algorithm true. He's a, and so I think um, as we have been teachers of our children, um, as we go about our day, as we experience music or books or the mountains or whatever it is, there's a sense of, I try to instill a sense of wonder, like, I wonder what this tells us about God. I wonder, what do you think that, why do you think God made this sunset red and blue and green tonight or red or blue and yellow tonight, you know, so that they're, so that my hope for them is that as they encounter the world, as they get older and older and their world gets bigger and bigger, that their posture will be, um, wow, what does this tell me about the Lord? Um, yeah, this is a pretty broad question. I will say this year, our, um, Jacob's class is, getting confirmed, right? Or is it First Communion? First Communion. First communion. <laughs> I should know this. Um, and so we are discussing the intricacies of the difference between Catholicism and being a Protestant. I don't think everybody is, but I think because Jacob is, it's just Jacob just loved, thinks about things pretty deeply. And so um, that would be one way. We're spending lots of time talking about, like he asked Tony recently, he's like, Dad, do you know what the in-between place is? Tony's like, the in-between place, tell me more. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yes. And so they talked a ton about, I'm forgetting. Purgatory. Purgatory. And at the end, Tony, or Tony was saying, this is one way we differ from our Catholic friends. And we were discussing that. And Jacob was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> so, um, and... And even if we've been really surprised, but even within the Catholics, well, within our school, they don't, all the teachers are not Catholic. And so his um, music teacher recently led um, the kids in meditating, listening to Hindu music, and Jacob about came off as rocker. Um, and so that was like a really good opportunity for us to talk about, I mean, a few kids in his class are Hindu, and he knew that, so we've talked a lot about that, but um, just it was really different for him to have an adult believe something different from him. Um, and so really, and really talking through that with him has been really good. I think we also memorize whatever book of the Bible we're preaching through at park as a family.
My, our third and first grader use iPads all day long at school. So it is, it's everywhere. Um, I'd say um, be diligent. I mean, my son and I had lunch today, and we talked about the, that there are things on the Internet that can hurt him. And, um, you, you know, just having those conversations, being diligent today, our kids watched a show on an iPad, and they do it in our loft, not in one of their rooms, right? So, I mean, I, that's very basic, but I, I think... I think there's an awareness of that that will fade as it becomes just more the standard, right? As we more hand our kids our iPhone and tell them to entertain themselves so we can have a peaceful dinner, that that awareness of what is there that can actually um, deaden parts of their soul. I, I don't want to overstate it, but it can deaden parts of their soul. Um, that awareness is so, so important. At the age your kids are now, for most of you, that's important. Do you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, we don't use a lot of technology in our school. Um, and, you know, teachers can use an iPad for instructional video or something, but we do very little of that. Um, and my position as a parent is I'm much less worried about my kids being able to right swipe um, than I am about them being, being able to love what is true and beautiful in this world, so it's okay with me, but um, there are lots of parents who, you know, in other places that feel real strongly about importance of technology in the classroom. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, my wife taught uh, second grade for three years, um, the last two years down in Cherry Hills, uh, at Cherry Hills Christian School, and they, they introduced iPads to, I think it was kindergarten up two years ago, just for simple things. Um, I'm, I'm not a fundamentalist in many places, um, but I am a little bit in this one. Like what you said about it deadening the soul, like science proves it, right? Um, it's 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 hard. It's really dangerous, especially early on. So like our Isaiah's, um, you know, like Isaiah's not two years old yet. And we we tried to like let's not let him be in front of a screen till he's at least two. There's so much going on, and it was really cool. Um, the Super Bowl, we let him watch, and he, like, cared about it for 30 seconds and then wanted to go play blocks. We're like, that's a win. But it really is. It's dangerous for me. Like, I find myself just staring into this abyss that has no relationship with me. Um, so it's just dangerous and can be helpful, maybe. Justin, will you pray for us? Or? Heavenly Father, I want to um, say thank you for our time together tonight. Uh, what an amazing gift to allow... Um, us as a panel to be together and and just speak our our um, experiences of what we've wrestled through and uh, this amazing um, effort that we have to to raise our kids um, in your glory and and how to prepare them for the world ahead and we just pray for more opportunities to to be in these panels with um, people searching and people asking questions in such a great environment, um, a protected environment, that we can do this so freely, and uh, what a gift. And we uh, praise you for our wonderful kids that are going to be soon um, in school or, or going to school, and what choices those are. We just look forward um, to see your glory through them and, and how they go to school. And um, we say thanks in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. <laughs>